Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Merry Christmas. If you were going to ask me what driving conditions are are the most hazardous, I, I think... I, I would say one of two things. It would either be the glare ice where all of a sudden you hit the patches and you lose all control, or it would be the lack of visibility, whether it's fog or, you know, the ground blizzard where there's a little bit of snow that gets blown in 40 mile an hour winds and all of a sudden you cannot see where you're going. I've told this story before. The only time I ever put a car in a ditch was in a ground blizzard where all of a sudden you're driving along and there's just no visibility at all. You're, I was on a freeway. You just can't see. And I, I was following a truck and the truck drove into the ditch and I followed the, <laughs> I followed the truck into the ditch. Thankfully nobody hurt, but it, it's really, really scary. I, I bring this up. Because it's been, well, going on 20 years, October 11th, 2002. And you you may remember this. This was, at the time, it was the largest single number of fatalities caused in a single accident on a Wisconsin highway. This is what, what happened. It was when... Nearly 40 cars and trucks crashed on Interstate 43 right around the, the Manitowoc County, Sheboygan area. And, and if you will recall, this was one of these deals where it's just all, all this, this fog came out of, came out of nowhere. This was October. Nobody was able to see. And you ended up having, you know, 10 people who died, um, as a result of this massive, pileup that involved 40 cars and trucks that that always hit home to me because my late wife who was an attorney she um, had actually been visiting a client in that area and and she was a an employment lawyer so she was interviewing like second shift employees and she she didn't get out of there till like two or three o'clock in the morning and so she got home um she got home literally about an hour or two before that the dense fog rolled in. And it was just really amazing because, like I say, if she had left an hour or two later, she'd worked a little bit. You know, if the, the meetings and stuff had taken a little bit longer, she would have been right in the middle of that thing. So you, you have that deal. And it's always I'm always mindful of that when you're driving on the freeways and stuff. And all of a sudden you, you have these different events. I bring it up because. Uh, I, I know we've talked a little bit about it on the news, but I, I think this is going to be a huge national story. Um, what happened today on Interstate 94, a massive crash involving many vehicles. What happened is about 545 this morning, I-94 near Hickson, multiple crashes, runoffs, a jackknife semi due to freezing rain and icy roads. Um, emergency person, if you look at the pictures of this, it's horrific. They've arrived, they find a semi-truck on fire in the median with two passenger vehicles underneath. Multiple secondary ca- crashes and runoffs occurred in the same area. Um, and it just no fatalities have been reported thus far, which 
which if you look at what happened, it is an absolutely and complete and total Christmas miracle that you have this situation. But all east and westbound lanes of I-94 between Black River Falls and Osseo are closed. Um, eastbound traffic closed for a while, and it's expected to be a closure of long duration. What happened is the Wisconsin State Patrol reported icy conditions in Jackson, Eau Claire, and Dunn counties, freezing rain causing icy hazardous road conditions this morning. Storm system drop, precipitation, snow, sleet, freezing rain on the west side of the state now starting to uh, spread. But it was just untreated roads, slippery, icy, just a complete and total mess. And this is going to be, like I say, it's going to be a national news story about this. The incredibly good news is that at least preliminary reports show that nobody was seriously injured and nobody was killed because this could have certainly broken in a different way. So that's that's kind of the Christmas miracle. And it does remind everybody, without trying to sound too much like a scold, it does remind everybody that you know winter weather conditions are very, very challenging around here. And you always want to be paying attention and you, you want to check you want to check the roadways and in this particular situation not a lot people could do. You get that freezing rain and this type of stuff happens. So if you're going over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house this year, uh, be, be really careful. And again, a Christmas miracle that what happened in northwestern Wisconsin was not a lot worse um, than it could have been. Nice thing is, uh, but of course, this happens on a day when my guess is there is a lot of travel that's occurring, a lot of people off work, a lot of people maybe coming from Minneapolis to visit friends in Madison or in Milwaukee or vice versa. So if you're out and about and driving, be extremely careful, please. When we come back, all right, like I say, today's program, we, we've got some sort of serious stuff and then gradually we're going to get into some more what I hope is fun stuff as we move along. I understand lots of people are off today, but that's okay. These are one of the, these, I love doing the radio shows on days like today. When we come back, well, the Wall Street Journal is calling it the forever emergency. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to present and support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, text the word Christmas to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. I do not mean to sound like a Grinch. But at what point in time are we going to say enough is enough? If you have not seen the news, President Biden, again, in my opinion, without legal authority, has once again decided that he is going to continue this practice of not making people who have student loans pay their pay anything for those student loans. And as a result of what he's done, well, the cost to the taxpayers is, well, now it's going to go up to about $110 billion. That is B and is in billion dollars. Now, here, let, let's go through the background of this. What happened is after the pandemic first hit in March of 2020, the CARES Act, remember that was one of the first emergency sort of acts that went through, relieved student loan borrowers from making payments on about $1.6 
trillion dollars in federal student loans. Now, this was in March, and the thinking was, okay, we, we've just been hit with this pandemic. We're shutting down all over. What we want to do is we want to say we're not going to require people who have borrowed money. We're not going to require them to make payments, and we're going to waive interest. Now, the CARES Act did it through September of 2020. So, you know, going on, what's that, 14, 15 months ago. President Trump, in what I believe was an illegal action, and I think he wanted to do this to try to get himself reelected, he extended the pause through January without any legislative authority at all. So he, he just said, I'm going to do this by executive order. So what happened then is student loan payments and interest accrual had been suspended since March. So under Trump, they continued the pause, again, without any legislative authority, through January of 2021. Well, it didn't help Trump get reelected, but all right, so that's the deal. So Biden comes in. And again, without any sort of legislative authority at all, just waves his magic wand and declares, I'm going to continue this extension of not requiring people to make payments and not having interest accrue on student loan debts. I'm going to extend it through September of this year, September of 2021. So at that point in time, September rolls around. It's now been what, a year and pushing a year and a half before and people who have student loans that they have taken out have, number one, not had to make payments on them. Number two, the interest has been suspended. Well, okay, all right. So now all the while this is going on, you have a number of liberals in Congress who are saying, Joe, Joe, here, forget this, this extending this. Let's just forgive all this student loan debt. And Biden's kind of been resisting this, but he's getting all sorts of pressure. Okay, so September rolls around. So what happens then is Biden turns around and says, okay, well, here's the deal. I'm now going to extend this deal till January. So now it's going to be almost like two years before, you know, people will have to make payments. All right. So now January is coming up. Well, Joe Biden rolls into action again, and he has just declared that once again, he is going to delay any obligation that people have to repay debts. He's going to um, delay this until May 1st of 2022. Again, this is done without any legislative authority. So the effect of this is going to be that for people who had student loans, the they will not have had an obligation to repay those loans for over two years, and interest has continued to accumulate. Now, the interesting thing is that, of course, for the taxpayers, well, the interest is still accumulating because what happened is the um, the taxpayers, you know, the Treasury hasn't received a, a reprieve on its debts to fund the loans, so the, the tab keeps rolling and rolling, and the estimates are that this latest extension will bring the taxpayer tab to $110 billion, most of which has not been appropriated by Congress. Moreover, what you're seeing is that a lot of the people who accumulated student debt, and if you want to argue that first six months was appropriate to, to give them a break, you know, most of those people are are back at work. That's just the reality of this. This saved 
borrowers on average about $400 a month. And most of the studies show that that $400 that they saved, they're, they're using it to pay for other things. They're using it to pay down credit card debt or put down payments on houses or things like that instead of paying the debt that they legitimately owe to the United States government, or put another way, that they owe to the rest of us, to the taxpayers. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At some point, look, you can make the argument that this was appropriate at the height of the pandemic. That pandemic has now, as far as the opportunities to get employment, has now largely passed. You, You can't... You know, if you don't have a job right now, you are not trying. That is just the reality. Employers are begging for people to go back to work. On top of that, we've had one stimulus payment after another. We've been sending money, which is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why you have inflation at the rates that it is now, because we've just been giving away taxpayer dollars right and left to people. Is it too much to say after, I don't know, a year and a half that what we should do is we should start making people repay their legitimately owned debts and start the clock running again on these interest payments. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And and if not now, what what's going to be different in, in May? What's going to be different next year? What's going to be different two years from now? And you just wonder whether or not this is just going to be Biden's way of essentially giving loan forgiveness, which is what the far left wants to do anyways. What do you think? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's so many things, in my opinion, wrong with this. First of all, we, we, we do not have kings in this country. At least last time I checked, we did not have kings. And, and what you've seen, and it, uh, go back, it really started with Obama in, in the more, more modern era, and then Donald Trump continued it, and Biden has embraced this. This idea that presidents don't believe that they have to follow laws, that they don't think they have to ask things to Congress. And so, you know, and again, in this particular case, we want to be really honest, Trump started the ball rolling in 2020 by simply declaring without any sort of legislative authority at all, oh, I'm, I'm going to continue the practice of not collecting loans because he thought it would be popular among certain voters. And then, of course, Joe Biden exp- embraced this in a, in a big way. And under the Biden administration, it's going to be like another year and a half before they're going to start collecting loans if that now my i tell you i think it's about 50 50 that what biden really wants to do is continue to just not collect not collect loans and at some point in time go into the elizabeth warrens of the world and simply say okay we're we're just going to forgive 1.6 trillion dollars in student loans what what's happened to all the stimulus money and if the idea is hey we wanted to give people a break early on when maybe they've lost their job or you're coming out of school and you can't find the job all right those days are long gone because the truth is now people are begging for jobs and what you're seeing happen is that money that people should be paying in student loans and interest to reimburse the taxpayers who funded their education what you're seeing in large measure is they're using it for other stuff hey we run up the credit cards now we're going to use it to pay off the credit cards and as a number of you are pointing out on the uh, text line well you know your car payments 
I, I don't I doubt that your car finance company is waiving those car payments and letting you not letting you make the payments. Mortgage companies, you know, unless you've got a strong reason for a hardship or something, don't see mortgage companies saying, you know, forget about that. But this is just a blanket thing to say that everybody who borrowed student loans from the government, one point six trillion dollars in loans, ah, forget it. You know, we'll we're just gonna put this whole thing on forbearance and we'll we'll see how it goes. It's going to be more than two years now before the government's going to start collecting, and that is assuming for the sake of argument that that Biden, again, doesn't find another way to continue this. This is like the student loan emergency that lasts forever. And at some point in time, it stops becoming an emergency, doesn't it? Here's a text, Jeff. This is so ridiculous. The students agreed to those loans They all and those all payments. There are jobs everywhere. There's no excuse for why people cannot be working to pay back the debts that they agreed to. You know, absolutely when it comes to that. Um, okay, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, I have some loans I took out for my kids' college. I think the balance is about $10,000 or so. I have not had to pay interest on them under the Act. And by the way, I will make over $300,000 this year. And by the way, I run a manufacturing company and can't find people to hire for several jobs I have open. So help me understand now who is hurting for this job from the pandemic. See, and then they go on to say they get it early on. I get it from early on as well. This is another one where there's no means testing at all that's out there. It's just it's not like saying, okay, you you owe some student loans and maybe you're in a particular hardship type of situation. So what we're going to do is, you know, we're going to give you a break. This is Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, you, you could be working, you know, you could, you know, you could be working as a doctor. You could be making $150,000 a year. No problem. We'll take care of you. This is Joe Biden. This is the government saying, okay, it's just taxpayer dollars. What do we care? And if it's $110 billion that the taxpayers have to figure out how to pay in these interest costs that have been waived, well, what's $110 billion between friends? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. One final thought on the student loan issue. There, now, there's some people saying, "Well, Jeff, you you, you just don't understand. We're, this is we we shouldn't have to pay. We can't afford." Come on, my text. We, we we can't afford to pay. It's it's not like it was 20 or 30 years ago. Well, okay. For, first of all, th- these are loans that you take out. No, nobody holds a gun to somebody's head and says. You have to borrow money to go to this particular school. That this is it is a benefit that the government offers people because it's a good thing to get education and all. But but maybe people need to, or maybe people should have thought before they started taking out these loans: Are they going to be able to pay them back? And there's a lot of blame to go around, including colleges and universities who've had spiraling costs, who knew that they could charge whatever they wanted because people could take out loans, and you didn't have to tell people what the job market was going to look like so you have that situation. I, I, I understand all that. Now, if you want to talk about meaningful student loan reform, though, to me, the answer isn't forgiving $1.6 trillion in, in loans and making everybody who didn't go to college, for example, pay for that. 
right? That's 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 not the answer. It's not continuing to push the problem down the line and say, okay, we're going to give you another six months or another year that you don't have to pay anything, and we're not going to accrue interest on this because that costs the taxpayers when they do that. Now, if you do want to talk about meaningful student loan reform, and I have been in favor of this all along. Maybe one of the things you need to do is look at renegotiations of the interest rates because interest rates, while they're going to be on their way up soon, have been at historic lows. But people have been stuck with, you know, student loan rates that are paying eight or nine percent interest where, you know, you've got, for example, you can take out a 30 year mortgage on a house for around three percent. I think if you wanted to do meaningful student loan reform, it's not forgiving the loans. It's not forgetting about the debts, but it's maybe creating a way of financing and paying the loans back at a lower interest rate so you can pay more in principle. I would be open to that. That's the way to do it. But of course, nowadays in this world, you have a lot of people who think we should just have a free lunch and of people who have taken out these loans, well, they just shouldn't have to repay them because think, if they don't have to repay the student loans, they could spend the money on all sorts of other things. And and wouldn't that be great? Well, okay, except there's no such thing as a free lunch. And if you forgive all these student loans, that means the rest of the taxpayers suddenly have to eat that cost. All right, let us switch gears. One more political topic in this hour before we move on. Uh, Joe Biden gives an interview with David Muir on ABC World News tonight. By the way, you know, people always ask me, what, what news broadcast do you watch? And, and of the, of the major networks, I, I think David Muir does the best job. And a lot of times it would not be uncommon for us to have that news on at 530. I think it's, I think it does a, I think in general he does a good job, a better job than some of the other stations do. So anyhow, um, he goes on, uh, David Muir on ABC News and they ask him whether or not he's planning to run for reelection in 2024. Now, Joe Biden is 79 years old. Right now, he's 79 years old. So if he ran for re-election and was, in fact, re-elected, he would be, what, 83, 84 years old in, in 2024. His answer, now, of course, when you ask somebody this question a year into your term, Biden would be foolish to say, no, I'm only going to be a one-term president, because at that point in time, you make yourself a, a lame duck. You know, how are you going to get anything once you say, I'm not, I'm planning on leaving the presidency in a couple of years. Once you make that determination, it's very, very difficult to get anything done because, you know, you lose some of the power. But his answer, which I thought was interesting, is that, yeah, he says that he does plan to run for re-election in 2024. And the only, again, proviso he put on it was that if he's in good health. So his thinking is, yeah, I'm going to run for four more years as long as, as my health you know, continues. Now, this is kind of interesting because if you look at polls, and I understand that people are skeptical of polls. If you look at polls, with the exception of former President Trump, there, there's no president in modern times which has lower poll numbers than Joe Biden at this stage of their presidency, again, accepting Donald Trump. I just pulled up the most recent, um, if you go to, the, there's a website, Real Clear Politics, that's kind of an aggregator of different polls and things like that. If you look at the most recent, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten polls that were taken on, on Biden's approval rating, and the oldest one goes back to December 1st, and the most recent one was conclu- conclu- concluded on December 22nd. Um, 
his average approval rating, 43%. His average disapproval rating is 53%. So he's underwater by 10 points, if you believe the polls. Some of the polls show him, again, down even more than that. There's a couple polls. One that says he's, he's 16% underwater, 41% approve, um, 57% disapprove. Um, the, the numbers are bleak. Now, it's a snapshot of where you find your presidency. And right now, the, the, it's been a rough first year for the Biden presidency. The Bi- Biden took office, as we talked about yesterday, and his promise was, hey, I bring get me into office and we're going to shut this coronavirus thing down. That, that's that's what he was saying. And they used coronavirus and Trump's alleged mishandling of this. They used as a campaign weapon. And the idea was going to be, OK, Biden's going to get in and we're going to solve it. Well, well, here we are a year later and we're, we're already told to, OK, expect more deaths, perhaps hopefully not, but maybe, in 2021 than there was in 2020. We're talking about how, you know, they think by March you're going to have X percent, what was that, somewhere I saw, 50 or 60 percent of the American population that is going to be, have been infected with this latest version of, of COVID. So, you know, Biden rode into office on this promise that he was going to clear up COVID-19. I'm not saying it's Biden's fault, just like I'm not sure it's Trump's fault with regard to COVID either. But, it hasn't gotten better, all right? And you can tell you have an administration that's now kind of changing course, and now we're we're shifting to let's do the at-home testing and things like that. But, but whether it's fair or not, whether it's fair to hold Trump responsible, whether it's fair to hold Biden responsible, the American public is sick and tired of having to deal with the pandemic. Biden said he was going to shut it down. That has not happened. Afghanistan was an absolute and total debacle. The border has been a total debacle. You've got inflation, which is running rampant, and that is causing issues. So you've got those four issues, plus there's other stuff that's out there as well. But clearly, those are drags on Biden's approval rating. Now, that doesn't mean that things can't turn around. Just because you have really, really low numbers after the first year of your presidency doesn't mean you can't go on to be reelected and do well. Uh, Ronald Reagan, classic example of that. Ronald Reagan struggled early on. He went on to win when he ran against Mondale in 84. He went on to win, I think, every state except Walter Mondale's Minnesota. So just because you're struggling in the beginning doesn't mean you can't turn it around. Biden, like I say, would be 83 or 84 years old, but he says he's in unless you know his health dictates otherwise, which I, I think that's at least a smart little you know way out to put in there. But let's assume that Joe Biden's health holds up. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look in your crystal ball. Do you see him getting reelected? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be there's only one thing that could occur that would cause Joe Biden to be reelected. I'll share that with you in just a minute. But my question is, if he runs again, does he win? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Joe Biden says his health holds up. He's in. I guess, first of all, let me just start off. He'll be 83 or 84 years old. 
at some point in time, you know, and, and I've said this about Republican senators and Democrat senators and Republican congressmen and Democrat congressmen, at some point in time, don't we say enough is enough? It's, I mean, is it is it too hard to expect that maybe we, we look to, I don't know, a newer generation of leaders? And I'm not even talking about I'm not even talking about millennials, for goodness sakes, or Gen Xers. But I mean, can, can't we find somebody to run for president who's who's in their 60s or or something like that? I mean, if the choice is in, and again, I just. I, I see these senators who announce that they're going to run for re-election, and they're 90 years old, and they'll be 95 when they finish their terms. At some point in time, don't we need to say it's time to thank people for careers of service and then encourage them to you know, move on? I mean, he, he, he's 79 years old, and I would say this if it was a Republican president. Okay, so right before the break, I won't leave you hanging. I said I don't see any way that he wins again unless there is a dramatic turnaround and unless one thing happens. That one thing would be if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee in 2024, rematch of Trump-Biden. I think especially what happened after the election, the refusal to accept the results of the November 2020 election and then the January 6th stuff, I believe that's made Donald Trump unelectable. Now, he might not believe that, and he might run again, and he might very well get the Republican nomination. And in that case, yeah, I think Joe Biden might go ahead and and beat him, I I think. But but other than that, I just don't see any way he gets reelected unless the Republicans shoot themselves in the foot. Three years is a long time, but, I mean, right now, been a really, really rocky first year. 855-616-1620. Josh and so- Jody in Sockville. Jody, you're on WTMJ. No, I'm sorry, Josh. Josh in Sockville. Hi, Josh. Uh, hey, Jeff. You know, I, I do agree with you. I think it's very hard for him to win uh, re-election in 2024. But for me, I think the biggest issue is the fact that he ran on a platform that he was going to listen to both sides, that he was going to govern as a moderate president. And he has done no such thing. Um, you know, the, the moderate vote is really what helps swing any presidential election yeah. in this country. And the fact that he lost it on that, I just don't see it possible. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things that has surprised a lot of people, including a lot of the conservative to moderate Democrats that are out there, is the fact that, you know, Biden, I think, was going to be viewed as, as again, somebody who was going to be more moderate. And, he, and he's tried to, without any significant majorities in Congress, he's tried to move the country hard left. And I think that there's a, a lot of pushback that you're seeing because we're not a hard left sort of country. And I think he's made a bad miscalculation in that regard. And I guess we'll have a better example of that as to what happens next November in the midterm elections. If they turn out to be a debacle for the Democrats, well, well, then you'll really get an indication of that. Don't know if that's going to happen, though, because I do think Donald Trump still has the potential to screw this up for Republicans. Yeah, I think Joe Biden was he was sitting on a golden opportunity to come in and really help bring some healing to the nation. But for some reason, you know, like you said, he listened to the left in his party, um, which is not where we are as a country. No, no. Th- thanks for call. And, and you, you didn't have. You did not have the majorities. When when Barack Obama, for example, got elected, he got elected after a wave election in 2008. You had a veto-proof majority in the U.S. Senate. You had, you had 60 senators, and, and, and Obama was able to push through Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act. And we can argue about whether that was the right thing or not, but he paid a huge price for it in the polls. But that he, he was able to push that in, in the elections in 2010. He paid a huge price for it, but he was able to push it through because he had 
arguably a mandate. You had a huge number of Democrats and massive control of both the House and the Senate. You know, Biden never had that. I mean, the problem in some respects, you know, Biden's been able to do some of these things by, I mean, cutting deals and stuff like that. But in its effort to try to move the country hard left, you just don't have the votes to do that right now. Uh, Jeff, I think by I don't think Biden could win again. He won this time because of people's dislike for Trump. If Trump runs again and the choice is Biden or Trump, I just won't vote at all. And I think there will be many of us that do the same thing. I agree with what you said. The country needs younger candidates that will follow established beliefs of each party not radical on either side yeah i you know i guess this is part of the thing too and as somebody who is i guess i'm I'm a ways away from like 85 but i'm closer to 85 than i am to 30 i mean it's like at some point in time don't we want to say at this country that we we want that next generation of leadership that does it have to be people who are in their 80s and and Trump if he runs again you know he he'd be in his 80s as well when he you know ended the, the second term it's kind of like why, why can't we find another generation of leaders that have a new sort of energy that they bring to the um the, they bring to the party a, a new sense of ideas shaped not from necessarily their their you know, shaped from their generation as opposed to, I don't know, being shaped from stuff that happened in the 1950s and stuff like that. I, I just, I, I think it's frustrating to me. I don't believe necessarily in age limits. I think people should have the right to choose to vote for whoever they want. But this idea that we keep reelecting all these old people is is just mind-boggling to me. You would think that Democrats would be looking and trying to come up with that next generation of Democrat leaders, whether they're moderate or or I guess whether they're far left. You, you bring up the far left, and I don't think that ends up in an electable situation. But but here's the bottom line. I, I understand why Biden said what he said yesterday on the David Muir show, because there, he's got nothing at all to gain and everything to lose by saying, no, I'm, I think I'm pretty much done in 2024. But depending on what happens in the midterms in 2022, if the Democrats lose a lot of seats, like a lot of people predict is going to happen, you know, Biden's last two years are going to be essentially as a caretaker. And if these poll numbers do not turn around, I don't think that there's any reason to suggest that uh, Democrats wouldn't go to him and say, Joe, you've had a wonderful career. You've done all these great things. You're going to be 80-some years old. It's time to go enjoy however much time that the good Lord's giving you in the rest of your life. Go enjoy it. Write your book and, you know, retire and walk away. Will he walk away? Don't know. All right. Lots of stuff coming up on today's program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, Melissa Barclay, there, there's there's ads on television, and then there's ads on television. And we, we have a bunch of computers, we have a bunch of TV screens up here. And um, we, one of the ones that they're showing us is the Channel 4 in-house feed. And they're running these ads for the ASPCA. Which I, I will I will tell you, you know, the ones that show like the 
the the dogs that are the shivering like dogs shivering outside. in the snow and and, it, and it's great because I'm I'm sitting there looking at it and they're saying okay for only twenty dollars a month or whatever you know it you kind of go oh wow you know, you're like only twenty dollars a month oh, well right well yeah. that's exactly right because you're sitting there thinking okay that that could be my dog how how would I that know. be no it's they, they are they are incredibly well done they really kind of <sighs> they like are they, and they, they tug just at like your heartstrings. tug at your heartstrings and your pocketbook you're like oh that's just twenty dollars but also you know I sometimes I have a hard time watching them. So so I turn the channel. Oh, I'm like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, if it's like a particular day, they'll make me cry. I, so I can't. I, well, there, there was one two, night or two ago, and it was on one of the cable channels I was watching, and it was for the polar bears. Yeah, and it was. It was like the, the polar bears. The the, the ice cap Their is melting, and, right? Dying. And it's that, and they're this. Ugh. They're like you, you saw these like two polar bear cubs and stuff like that, and you're kind of like watching that, going, I, I don't. They're losing I, their home, right? And, like, and, and yeah. look, and they're oh, this is so terrible. And I, so where cute. can I where can I send the check? And I'm I, I just I just I think they are brilliant ads. I mean, when as far as like getting your attention and making you want to give money. For the longest time, Sarah McLaughlin, the singer, had a right. song that was just like you knew the second that song started, <laughs> there was going to be <laughs> right. really sad animals on the screen, and you're like, okay, well, you know, but the, the cats that have the sad eyes and they're just like looking at you, feed me. Like, oh, oh, oh yeah, oh. absolutely. But I tell you, but it just and, and maybe my perspective is a little bit different now as a, as a pet owner and stuff. But I see that I see my dog. Yes, you, know? you see your it's dog. Like, yes. That's it. Here, you know, oh. I, how can you write the write the check and stuff? My cute little dog, and that could be and her they, out they there. They get you this time of year. I don't know what it is. This time of year, we're in the giving season. Oh, sure. They're just like, let's do it. Sure. No, I mean, great, great, great ads makes me want to makes me want to write a check, do if not job. to that group, to some other, like the Humane Society yes. or something like that. <laughs> you know, that to help the animals. That's it. All right. It's just I was watching that again, thinking, gosh, I, where's my checkbook? So, here, here. Let's. It, it's funny you mentioned that because I read a story yesterday that the Milwaukee Humane society is taking in like over 30 cats from kentucky because the tornadoes went through that oh, area right, yeah. and they're bringing some of those shelter animals over here to milwaukee and i was like ah, yeah. feeling I, so bad i also wonder you know i wonder what's going to happen if it really has happened with the 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 surge you had during the pandemic when everybody was locked down everybody there was a rush on let, let's adopt animals and things like that and i kind of wonder moving forward uh, were there people out there that adopted animals but really didn't understand everything that, that goes with owning an animal? Interesting you say that. I was just at Haw's last weekend. I've been looking for a cat. Um, and a lot of the, on the other end, a lot of the animals said they had to be given up because their owner had passed. So mm -hmm. you felt really bad for those. I mean, maybe it was COVID, maybe it wasn't just old right. age, but you know, there were animals still being given up because, you know, their owner died. Right. That's yeah, so sad. It, you know, I was, I, we had some friends over last night and, um, they, they have a dog as well. And we were just kind of talking and their, their dog is a little bit older and, and hopefully will live for a number of years. But actually my buddy was saying, you know, that what, if anything ever happens to their dog, they're not sure they'd get another one mm -hmm. just because they, they are work. Now, it's a commitment. I, I, right, yeah. and, and I know there, it's very, it is very, very worth it. There's no question about it. But it is, it they you have to understand that it's going to be a little bit confining and things like that. You can't, you know, gee, it, okay, we've been gone for five hours. Got to get back and, and take care of that. Yeah. Or, you know, we want to go away overnight. So if you can't take the dog with you when you're going, you have to find that alternative thing. And to me, it's very, very worthwhile. I'm not saying that at all. But I, I think there were probably some people who maybe adopted these animals because you want the companionship or whatever. And then it's they find that oh i didn't realize that it was this much work yeah you have to find care for the animal if you're going to be gone more than you know especially especially a dog for a cat you can be gone a day or two right and they're fine right but yeah and the expense and it, to me it's, it's well worth it mm -hmm. but you know the expense of 
Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're our friend and colleague, John McCure, he always talks about, you know, they got two dogs and he'll say, I can't believe I got this vet bill for this or that or the other thing. And I said, well, nobody made you get the dogs, and John, you know, sometimes they need special food or special whatever. And right. so you just got to go with it at the same time. I know you feel the same way I do. Very, very worth oh it. Oh my There's gosh, just yeah, I couldn't imagine. No question life about without. it. Extremely yeah. worth it. <laughs> okay, um, as as um, Melissa told you during her newscast, there there has been it's it's weird the way they're reporting it. Normally, when you have a verdict that's reported, normally when they say, okay, we, we've got a resolution at a trial, that they, they they say there's a verdict that's been reached. That's what you always hear. The way this is being reported is that there is an outcome that has been released, and I and I don't want to read too much into that. Maybe that's just the way the person from the Associated Press or CNN is is writing the story. But they, the jury has made a decision in the trial of Kim Potter. She's the former Minneapolis, Minnesota police officer, and she's the one who, during the traffic stop, pulled out what she thought was her taser to, I mean, zap somebody who they believe was resisting arrest. Um, and instead, it, instead of her taser, it was her her handgun, and she ended up in shooting and killing a, a 20-year-old uh, black male as well. So there, there's that kind of racial overtone to it as well. I, I have thought all along, without before I had an opportunity to watch her testify, they've charged her with two counts. One is first-degree manslaughter, which is killing somebody, essentially killing somebody through reckless behavior while you're committing another crime. Uh, a misdemeanor and then second degree manslaughter which is just killing somebody recklessly essentially i've always thought that this was a, a second degree manslaughter case and would not be surprised if that was the verdict simply because I, I, you've, you've got somebody that's dead and regardless of what the intent was you have a police officer a veteran police officer who thinks they've got a taser in their hand and still they have a, a gun in their hand and i i don't know how that couldn't be just just reckless behavior. But interestingly enough, this jury that's now been deliberating for several days, the, clearly they were having some trouble and were, in fact, split on on this. Early on, I think it was yesterday, they sent out a note to the judge indicating um, that, that they were having trouble reaching a verdict. Because keep in mind, in these cases, you have to be unanimous. It, it, you, it can't be, oh, let's take a majority vote C. You have to unanimously agree guilty or not guilty. And they sent a note saying, okay, what, what happens if we can't reach a verdict? You know, if we, we what do we do? And then what they did, the judge sends them back. And the, in the federal system, they used to call this the Allen charge, came from a, a case, and where it essentially says, okay, well, you shouldn't assume that any other jury is going to be able to decide this case better than you do. So deliberate with a view towards reaching an agreement um, and try to do that if you can do so without violating your individual judgment. That's what they tell them. So they send them back and tell them to continue deliberating. Um, don't don't know what this is. Most of the times, amazingly, juries are able to reach verdicts. And I think that's a real tribute to the, the jury system when you consider that you take 12 people from who don't know each other, put them in a, a very, very artificial setting where 
you know, they're, they're hearing evidence that's presented under the rules of evidence and, you know, different rules against hearsay and this and that and the other thing. And, and yet they're always able to find agreement. Um, they're, they're able to reach a consensus. So I don't know if that's going to be the case or not. But in any event, they've got a verdict. And we'll let you know what that is as soon as we hear it. I, again, I, I've said all along that it struck me that this was a this was the the second degree manslaughter case, but that doesn't mean that the jury is going to necessarily conclude that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. Have a holly jolly Christmas, and when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know. And everyone. Merry Christmas, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Hey, one final thought on what we were talking about a few minutes ago, the, the poll numbers for Joe Biden and what it means moving forward. I mean, obviously, if you are a politician, you never want to have your numbers in the tank. You don't want to be underwater like he is. If you look at the real clear politics average, poll averages, he's, his approval rating is 10 points below his disapproval rating. That, that's never a good place to be. But the one advantage he has is it's early in his term. Now, I'll give you I'll give you the example that Ronald Reagan, who, in my opinion, was the greatest president of my lifetime, Ronald Reagan, in he was elected in, in the 1980 elections, so the, the November of 1980 elections, he took office in January of 1981. Um, a year and a half into his term, he, that I was looking at the poll numbers, the Gallup poll, just for example, from August of 1982, so a year and a half in, his approval rating was 41%, his disapproval rating was 47%, which was the, the lowest that that was the biggest gap of the first two years of the Reagan presidency. After he was reelected, his his approval numbers were always very very strong. But you know, um, a year and a half into the presidency, he was underwater by six points. Now Biden is is in worse shape than that, but still, to give you an idea of how things can turn around, so he's eighteen months into his presidency, he's six points underwater: forty one percent approve, forty seven percent disapprove. Um, when he ran for reelection. Two and a half years later, in November of 1984, against Walter Mondale, it was it was just a, a blowout. Ronald Reagan got approximately 59% of the vote. Walter Mondale got approximately 41%. So Reagan went from 41, 47% approval, disapproval rating to winning with, with almost 60% of the vote two and a half years later. It doesn't mean it always happens, and a lot of times it's when when you get when when the numbers start going down, it's tough to turn it around. But for everybody who looks at the Biden numbers, for example, and says, "Well, there's no way if he runs again, he can get reelected," three years is a long, long time in politics, and a lot of stuff can happen. As I've said repeatedly, if it were not for COVID, I I continue to believe that Donald Trump would have been reelected, would have been reelected handily. But you know, his handling of COVID. And the criticism he got for it, it undermined him. And as I've said repeatedly, too, I think his behavior after the November 6th election last year has really made it difficult for a lot of people to vote for him. Maybe people who voted for him last year to vote for him again, the denial of the election and the stuff on January 6th. But bottom line is, if if everybody thinks that there's no way that Joe Biden could run again at the age of 83 or 84 and be reelected, and you want to point to the polls as evidence for that, don't, that's not necessarily true. Lots of stuff can end up happening. Big news today, the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear 
the case on whether or not Joe Biden has the authority to unilaterally require large employers to um, require their employees to be vaccinated. You know, um, obviously, Biden is is big with the vaccine mandates. And so one of the orders that the Biden administration issued through OSHA was that, you know, any business with 100 or more employees would have to have their employees be vaccinated or else the employees would have to be fired or the employees could be or the employer would be fined. This would affect more than 84 million workers. And they estimate that of that 84 million, there's probably about 22 million that would be required to either get vaccinated against their will or lose their their job. So that's kind of how it is. Lower courts said it was unconstitutional. The Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in a two to one vote said, no, no, we think he has the authority to do it. The case has now been fast tracked and it's been accepted for the United States Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court is going to decide whether the government again, by executive order, has the power to do it. My guess is they're going to say no, but you you go broke trying to guess what the Supreme Court will do. But in any event, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case, and um, they're going to fast-track that. Matter of fact, the case has been set for argument on Friday, January 7th. So they're coming back early from the Christmas break to hear this argument, and I would expect that because of the pressing nature of this, one way or the other, you're going to get a decision relatively quickly. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Everybody's waiting for the man with the bad cars. Christmas is coming again. He's got a sleigh full. It's not going to stay full. He's got stuff. Two more days. So if you're waiting for that last-minute Christmas shopping like we talked about yesterday, you, you probably want to get on with it. There's a lot of stores that are going to be open on Christmas Eve. A lot of stores stay open till 6 o'clock. But, uh, again, with supply chain shortages and stuff like that, you don't want to delay too long. This weekend is your next chance to hear the brand-new WTMJ Holiday Radio Show, It's a Wonderful Career, starring Gene Miller and the WTMJ Players, plus surprise visits from some of your favorite personalities around the Badger State. Tune in this Friday, Christmas Eve at noon and 6 p.m. So noon and 6 p.m. or Sunday, 11 a.m. or 7 p.m. for the WTMJ Holiday Radio Show. It's a Wonderful Career, sponsored by Gruber Law Offices, Drake & Associates, and Dave Drake Camp Heating, and benefiting Capco's Kids to Kids Toy Drive. And for people who are, again, wondering, well, why, why, why don't they have the Holiday Radio Show on Christmas Day, which is Saturday? That's because we got the Green Bay Packers on Christmas Day Saturday. How cool is that? Now, here's a deal where you don't let's see Eric Bilstedt are we are do they have a verdict yet or they're all in the courtroom in the Kim Potter thing it appears that they do have a verdict from what we're being told that this will not be a hung jury okay and that it could come down we had yet to hear it looks like they have brought her in to the court case or in the courtroom there. yeah it's just weird like CNN's been reporting it's having an outcome which is which is strange r- yeah, right yeah, I mean you think but, something. but you wouldn't know but but the thing is they wouldn't know if, if it was a hung jury which rarely happens they wouldn't say oh we're, we've got a hung jury here you know so that you don't know it till they actually read the verdict so i'm going to dip in here i believe this is our audio kim potter is in court now the judge waiting to speak they might be bringing in the jury at the moment The judge had said if they didn't have a verdict by today, they were going to bring him back on Monday to resume deliberations. Yeah. Is that normal? The, through a holiday like that, just go home and 
Yeah, I mean, you can't have people deliver on deliberate on Christmas Eve or Christmas. No, you can't. I mean, it <laughs> I just, it, right? It's just it would you'd, you'd have a jury revolt. Yeah, the jury's coming back in. They're all they're all rising now. Potter looking very stoic, wearing a face mask, as they all are. All right, please be seated. Members of the jury, have you arrived at a verdict? Okay. Will the deputy uh, please retrieve the verdict forms and provide it to me for review? Two counts. First degree manslaughter, second degree manslaughter. Miss Potter, please rise. I'm now going to read your verdicts as it will as it will appear in the permanent court records of Hennepin County. In the matter of State of Minnesota versus Kimberly Potter, court file number 27 CR 217490, we the jury on the charge of manslaughter in the first degree while committing a misdemeanor on or about April 11, 2021 in Hennepin County, State of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. And the verdict was agreed to at the hour of 11.40 a.m. and signed by the jury person on 12.23.21. On uh, the verdict on count two is we, the jury, on the charge of manslaughter in the second degree, culpable negligence on or about April 11, 2021, in Hennepin County, State of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. And that verdict was agreed to at 10.30 a.m. Breaking news, Kim Potter found guilty of both first-degree and second-degree manslaughter in the shooting death of Dante Wright. Yeah, the, the difference is, that between the two, is that um, the second-degree manslaughter, cutting through like a lot of the legal jargon, is simply you cause the death of somebody else while acting recklessly. The first-degree manslaughter charge is that you recklessly caused the death of someone else while committing a misdemeanor. So they found like an underlying crime like the, I don't know, the detention or something like that. that so it was the, the mis that's, that's the added element to that first-degree manslaughter. From a practical perspective, as I recall, the, the first-degree manslaughter is a carries a maximum penalty of 15 years. Second-degree carries a maximum penalty of 10 years. This is not a situation, in my opinion, where the judge would um, run the terms consecutive. I mean, she's going to get a sentence of. What do you think, six to ten? You think it'd be more I, I than ten? No, no. I, I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's going to be that. You have somebody with no prior record, and this. There wasn't an intent here, but but somebody's still dead. So I mean, right, I, right. like I said, I thought. I thought all along. I thought this was clearly the second degree attempted manslaughter case and obviously the jury found the, the I, I didn't i didn't understand her defense eric to tell you the truth i mean it was uh, it was that she was sorry she did it nobody argues that she wasn't sorry right. she did it right. but I, I think it was kind of like you're a, you're a police officer for 22 years and you've got a taser on one hip and you've got a handgun on the other and the taser has all sorts of plastic parts how can you 
how can you pull a handgun and not realize you think you're pulling a taser and you've actually pulled your gun? Potter took her mask off during the verdict being read. She showed really no emotion, almost looked disappointed more than anything. There was no emotion other than that. I think she probably was resigned, perhaps, to her fate in this case, although the verdict or the deliberations took, what, 20-plus hours to come to a verdict here. Well, and again, Verdicts. also yesterday, keep in mind, Eric, was it, I think it was yesterday, the jury sent out a question indicating that they they might be mm-hmm. hung. Tuesday, it was, you know, yeah. they, right, they, mm-hmm. they sent out the note saying, what happens, judge, in the event we're unable to reach a verdict? Right. And the judge then gave what, in the federal system, you call the Allen charge, saying, go back, do your best to deliberate. You know, it is interesting because once you've given, as a general rule, once you've given that charge once, once you've told them, go back, do your best, deliberate, um, Judges don't do it anymore because then it's found to be coercive. So okay. you, you tell them, you tell them once, go try to deliberate, and then if they come back again and say we're stuck at that point in time, you know you accept you, uh-huh. you, you accept on jury because at some point in time the judge is is viewed as trying to brow, browbeat them into a result. Right. So that's why you only have that. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mentioned this yesterday. I I know this it's going to be a weird Christmas because um, our our Christmas plans kind of got turned upside down because uh, among people we know, including people we might have like hung out with at Christmas, uh, over the last week or so, I know at least a half dozen people who have been diagnosed as test positive for COVID, and in all cases, the people who tested positive for COVID were vaccinated. In a majority of the cases, they had booster shots. In a couple of the cases, they had COVID before, and, and yet they've, they've tested positive again. And it's it's almost like you can't call it a breakthrough case anymore because it seems like that the vast majority of the, these new Omicron cases, well, if not vast majority, at least a good number of them are, are, are finding their way to people who are vaccinated. Now, the good news at least with the people in in my circle of family, friends, etc., is that nobody's too sick. Matter of fact, you know, the, the most I, I'll say, well, are you sick or whatever? No, no fever. Feel a little bit tired, but otherwise, it's it, it's fine. So, I mean, that that's the knock on wood thing. That at least among the people I know who have done, by the way, all the right stuff, they've gotten vaccinated, they've gotten their boosters. You know, in a couple cases, I know there are people who wear masks all over, and and yet they they've still got it. But again, the good news is they're 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 fine as far as they're not again having significant respiratory problems or whatever. You know, as I said yesterday, I think ultimately this may be our our way out of this because I I'm. I'm kind of of the opinion that almost everybody is going to get this variation of COVID at some point in time. You might have even had it. They say 40% of the cases are, are asymptomatic. You, you don't know that you have it. And at some point in time, you know, enough people are going to be exposed to this that you're going to build up that kind of natural immunity together. And this isn't to suggest that people shouldn't get vaccinated and boosted because to me, that's what's stopping people from going to the hospital as much. And if you look at the numbers, the vast majority of people who are in the hospital are people who are are unvaccinated because even if the vaccinations and the boosters don't we don't know 
all there is to know about this new variant. But even if the vaccinations and boosters don't stop you from getting it, the, the evidence appears pretty overwhelming now that it's it, it minimizes, you know, what what the consequences are going to be, which to me is enough of a justification to go and, and get vaccinated and get boosted. The part of the problem when you have a lot of people going into the hospital, first of all, it, it takes up hospital beds and it overwhelms the healthcare system. Hence, we used to talk about the idea of flattening the curve. Secondly, if you've got a disproportionate number of people who are in for COVID, well, it makes it difficult for other people to get into the hospital beds. I mean, what, what about the people that have the heart attacks? What, what about the people who have, you know, need treatment for other things and yet you, you can't get in? And this is always, this is always where the balancing act is. Well, okay, yesterday, um, MSNBC medical analyst, Dr. Vin Gupta said, here's what I think we should do. I think we should have negative incentives to battle the Omicron surge. Okay, so what do you mean by negative incentives? Well, the argument is, what uh, the medical doctor says, is that we should prioritize hospital treatment. So in other words, vaccinated patients, okay, they, they go to the front of the line if they're sick for COVID, but people who haven't been vaccinated, okay, they, they go to the back of the line. So in essence, in, in doing this kind of triage, the argument would be, all right, if you haven't been vaccinated, if you haven't had your booster, all right, you're, you go to the back of exactly that. You go to the back of the line. And if there's a problem with allocating hospital beds and stuff like that, if you've made the decision not to get vaccinated, not to get your booster, you're kind of on your own. And, and yeah, we'll get around to you, but we'll get around to you when we choose to get around to you, when when we can do it. But we're going to take care of the people who have, in our opinion at least, done what everybody's been telling them to do. They go to the front of the line. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about that? As a policy matter, as a matter of medical ethics? Because here's where it gets really dicey. The truth is, yes, in in most cases, the people who have made the decision to not get their vaccinations or not get their boosters, they are they are assuming the risk. And for most of those people, they're not doing it because the, the doctor they, they've got a they've got a medical reason not to do it. They're doing it because they, they've made the decision for whatever reason they're not going to want to do it. So the flip side, though, is those are the people the unvaccinated, who are most in need of that medical treatment. They're likely to have the most severe results. Can you turn your back on them, even if you want to argue that, hey, you've brought about a lot of this yourself? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, we've really touched a nerve with this. Jeff, this doesn't go far enough. It's not, it's a text. It's not fair to force doctors and nurses to kick somebody out of their hospital to make room for a stroke or heart attack patient. It should just be set up so that if you're vaccinated, you're welcome to come and get treatment at the hospital. If you haven't been vaccinated and don't have a doctor's reason to not get vaccinated, you're taking your chances and you get to do it on your own at home which is the logical extension of that. It's like if you're vaccinated, you get COVID, you can come in for treatment. If you're unvaccinated, you're on your own. That's what the medical analyst on MSNBC suggested yesterday. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Jeff, 
I'm, I'm so tired of this. The unvaccinated have had so much time to get vaccinated. They see what's going on. And I'm going to tell you what, they should just stay home. Let's take care of them. Sure, on all these poor hospital workers that have busted their ass for three years, two years, and uh, I'm just sick of this. Okay, Tony, let me ask you. Let, let, me, your, let your. Okay, let me ask you this. Go ahead. Okay, last month I, I I do these everyday health interviews where I talk to doctors from Freighter, and last month we talked about lung disease. And I, I don't know if it was on the air or off the air, but one of the questions I asked him was of, of of the difference, whether it's lung cancer or whatever, what percentage of the, the patients you treat do you think are smokers? And he told me about 90 to 95 percent. Essentially, he said, you know, if, if people did not smoke, I might be out of business, which would maybe be a good thing. So here's my question to you. If we follow that philosophy, should we say to people who have, have lung cancer or other things caused by smoking or obesity or or whatever voluntarily decisions that they made that they're they go to the end of the line for treatment yeah i would i'll tell you why everybody knows uh, smoking causes lung cancer yet people continue to smoke two three four packs and now all of a sudden you got cancer they're going to sue the uh, cigarette company or they they should get taken care of no you made the decision People should start taking, you know, okay. responsibility right. for their lives. Okay, well, Tony, I, I will say this. At least your position is consistent. Now, of course, we, we don't we do not do that. We don't say, okay, um, you have type 2 diabetes because you, you know, you, you, you drank sugary sodas and you're 30 pounds overweight, and that's why you've got these different complications, and we're going to put you at the end of the line behind someone else. Now, I guess the flip side of this is when, when you're on the list for, like, transplants, liver transplants or things like that, they do, I believe, consider, you know, behaviors. Are you, you know, are you a chronic alcoholic, and are you going to continue drinking? So that might disqualify you. But isn't that really kind of playing God? I guess from from an ethical perspective, and I, I understand that, and I agree with the concept that if you make the decision not to get vaccinated, you're really playing with fire. That, that's what the that's what the the numbers say, and that's why getting vaccinated and getting boosted, I believe, is a good thing. But that that's another thing to say. Then we're not going to treat you if you end up getting sick. I mean, how how can you just turn your back on on people who have gotten sick? 855-616-1620. And I guess the more compelling argument might be those people who are unvaccinated, who get COVID, especially with the underlying conditions, they're the ones that are probably in the most need of, of treatment because they're the ones that the outcome is most likely to be really bad. 855-616-1620. How can you tell doctors don't, don't treat those people? Can you tell doctors don't treat those people? John in Milwaukee. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, John. I, I think they ought to, I think they ought to build some, uh, uh, kind of makeshift, uh, 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 buildings outside on the parking lot. That way they can put these here uh, unvaccinated uh, people in that they can take care of. I, I think they should take care of them, but still yet they shouldn't get the quality uh, care as they, they get if they were vaccinated because they didn't take any precautions. But I guess as a practical matter, how do you? I mean, how how do you do that? You're you're a nurse, or you're a doctor, and you're uh, you know your your oath is look. I I'm, I want to try to heal people. 
Um, I mean, how do you say, okay, well, we're only going to go out to the unvaccinated tent, you know, once every two hours. You guys are on your own, and we're going to tr- we'll, we'll we'll see everybody else every fifteen minutes. I mean, is that can you really do that? Yeah, they could do that all the time because even if you look at the uh, healthcare, when you reach a certain age, you don't get certain medical uh, uh, yeah. procedures. Yeah. Yeah. You get oh, you get cancer. Well, we're not going to take care of you. We're just going to make your life comfortable until the day you die. It goes on all the time. Well, it's I get. I mean, th- yes. I mean, well, thanks. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily a certain age. I mean, yeah, there's a there's a certain age where you might say if you're 93 years old and you've got you know dementia and you fall and break your hip, they're not going to do a hip replacement because they don't think that you're going to be able to rehabilitate and. It's certainly true in cancer cases that you get to some people where there's just where, where it's the cancer is so advanced that they move into what do they call it palliative care, where it's just let, let's let's try to make people comfortable because we we know where this is going. We don't know if it's going to be a month or three months or a year. Nobody knows that. So I mean, but that's that, that's that's just recognizing kind of a medical reality this is saying we're going to just not treat you because of this decision if you can't tell i just don't see how you can do this and this is from my perspective as someone who again believes people should get vaccinated because it just it makes sense because you're less likely to end up in this severe outcome but i just don't understand how you could say to doctors or nurses or the hospital system uh, from an ethical perspective no we're not going to treat you now i think you know employers can do all sorts of things. I, I think you know you can you can monkey around with the health insurance premiums about what you have to pay for and things like that. But as far as denying you treatment, I just I don't see how you can do it. Jim in Brookfield. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Jim. Okay, lost Jim there. 855-616-1620. Let me share a couple. We're getting swamped on this. Um, Jeff, this is ridiculous. Do you not treat somebody because they ran through a stop sign and they're laying there bleeding on the sidewalk? Um, Jeff, why is it the unvaccinated's fault that they are so sick? Anyone can catch it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's that's true. But the one thing that we do know, and I, I look, I understand where this doctor is coming from. I don't agree with him, but the doctor is coming from because the one thing with, with all the stuff that we don't know about these viruses, we do know statistically you are much less likely. It's no guarantee, not 100% certainty, but we do know that if you are vaccinated and you have your booster shot, you are much less likely to end up in the hospital and you're much less likely to end up dead, Uh, especially, again, if you have some of these underlying conditions. But I, I also appreciate that there's lots of people who are unvaccinated who get COVID and don't end up in the hospital. But of the people that do end up in the hospital, the numbers indicate pretty clearly it's mostly people who are unvaccinated. Not all, but mostly. But I I just don't see that you can say to doctors, don't treat this person. I mean, if you're sick, you have to be treated, don't you? We live in unusual times. All right, when we come back, it's John McCure's last day of the year. We'll find out what he's got on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.